The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. All right, we uh, this morning are going to uh, continue in this uh, short series that we've been in called God in the Shadows um, as we talk about how God works to sustain us in difficult and dark times. And there are all of us parts and, and seasons in our lives that are, that are difficult and seasons in our, in our lives that, are, that are, are marked by darkness. And we have been looking at the life of David. And so far in the, the first couple of weeks... The life of David has played itself out in one particular season, which is uh, the season of rebellion of his oldest son, Absalom. And so we, we looked at, at some of the laments, the, the, the prayers of David during this dark and difficult time. In the first week, we talked about how past graces frame present distresses and how David was looking back at the goodness and the grace of God in uh, previous times that 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 sustained him in his, his current distress. Uh, last week, the, the setting was the same, and we talked about how sleeping is sustaining. Not that it just is physically helpful and, and healthy, which it is, but that there is a theology of sleep that proclaims our weakness and, and God's sovereignty. Um, that, that while we are asleep, God never slumbers, God never tires, and He continues to work. And so we are able to lay down in, in, uh, in peace and sleep and be uh, awoken again the next day um, by the, the sovereign hand of, of God. This week, we're going to look at Psalm 4, which follows directly after the psalm we looked at last week, and we're going to see that prayer brings peace. This psalm's setting is a little more unsure than the, the previous two. There are some that put this during Absalom's rebellion. There are others that do not. I'm not sure. I'm also not convinced that this comes during the rebellion of Absalom. The reason is because this psalm is not focused around the physical deliverance of David from his enemies. So we, as we saw last week, David was uh, being chased by 12,000 men and he had 600 people. So there's this this. Anxiety that, that's built around this, this pressing that David was feeling and this deliverance that he needed from his, his enemies. This psalm does not highlight a physical deliverance from your enemies, but instead it shows us David's need for the presence and the approval of God. This is a psalm of David that comes as he is being maligned, as he is being slandered. He is being treated unjustly. He's being falsely accused. There, there are people who are 
lying about David. And it is clear that this is, this is beginning to, to get to David. It's beginning to, to weigh on David. The reality is for us that it is hard to deal with the attacks of others that are unmerited. I've, I've been there. You can't serve in ministry very long and not get there. As you are, your motives, your actions are, are questions and questioned and you're attacked. And it, it seems by you that it, it's, you didn't deserve it, right? These, these times when we try to live rightly and still we're, we are reviled by others. We're, we're lied about by, by others. Some have called this psalm... Uh, the lament of a righteous sufferer. Now, there's only ever been one truly righteous sufferer, and that is Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that's ever lived r- perfectly righteous. Nobody else has ever lived in perfect righteousness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not another person who has been completely innocent. But there are times in our lives, times of a a relative innocence, in which people who are evil heap injustices on us. And there are times when we are falsely accused. And these can be difficult times. These are difficult times, and this is where David is. He is in a, he's in a season of, of difficulty. He's in a season of distress because of this. Now, this psalm does not only apply to times like this. That's the, the setting that this psalm is found in. But there are truths in this psalm that apply to more than just those specific settings or those specific circumstances. Does that make sense? It's not like the things that we learn from this are only a, a, applicable when somebody's lying about us. No, the, the things that we learn from this psalm and the things that we can apply from this psalm, psalm uh, work in... in any circumstances that could lead us to a, a distress or that could lead us to, to difficulties, that could, could lead us into some anxiety or some depression. What we see in these circumstances is a darkness in David's soul that is turned to light. I like the way one commentator says it. You see a distress that moves to a quiet confidence in God. And all of this happens in and through prayer. This is because in the dark times of our lives, regardless of the sources of the circumstances, prayer is the power that moves us from distress to confidence. Prayer is what moves us from worry to peace. Prayer brings peace. And this is what you see happen in David's life. You see this in this psalm in three parts. The first part is a plea to God. 
The second part is a petition to his enemies. And the third is a peace in his heart. Look with me, Psalm 4, starting in verse 1. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Would you notice to whom David turns? First and foremost, his turning is to God. It's a plea to God. He says it like this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The very first person, the very first place that you see David turning to in his distress, in his darkness, is to God in prayer. But who is it that we turn to when we hear of an unjust accusation that someone has been making against us? Where do we turn? I'll tell you where most people turn. Facebook. They go to Facebook to vent. They go to Facebook to set the record straight to all of their friends. They go to Facebook, turning immediately to attacking their enemy. We pick up the phone and we call somebody before we ever call out to God. That's not what David does. David turns immediately to God and offers to God a plea, offers to God a a prayer. Answer me when I call, oh God of my righteousness. I want you to notice how David comes to God. The first thing that we see is that David's plea is honest. David comes to God in honesty. I want you to think for a second. You're the king of Israel and people are lying about you. By the way, you're not a perfect king. You're a flawed king. And if that was you, and if David were probably presenting his case before others or posting on Facebook, he might have pretended something than other what he, 
he really felt inside. You can act like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's, it's no problem, man. You know, I know who they are. You don't have to worry about it. And you can put on airs like it doesn't really bother you or like you're not really in this distress about it instead of being honest about where you are and how you feel. We would try to keep up appearances and act like we are fine. So often we are, we are in the depths of anxiety or depression. We want to act like there isn't anything wrong with us because we don't want people to think that we're crazy or that we're weak or that we're less spiritual. And so we put on airs and we pretend like everything's okay, but inside we know that it's not. But this is not how David comes to God. David comes to God in honesty. To come to God means that you do not have to pretend. You can tell him exactly where you hurt and exactly how you feel. And God is able to take it. He already knows it. When we come to God, we come to God in honesty. God, this is where I am. This is where I hurt Answer me when I call, oh God. That's a, that's a plea of desperation, of honest desperation that says, this is where I am. I'm in need of you. I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. David comes in honesty. But he also comes in humility. His plea is, is humble. Look at what David says. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Then this phrase, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. What's, what is David doing in this, in this request of God to show him grace, of God to show him mercy? What is David doing? David is declaring God's righteousness and he is acknowledging his own sin. To ask God to be gracious, to ask God to, to, to treat you with mercy means that you're crying out to God saying, I don't deserve you to, to answer. I don't deserve for you to move. I don't deserve for you to act. I'm a, a sinner who doesn't deserve it. But oh God, would you hear me? Would you answer me? Would you be gracious to me? Would you be merciful to me? Here's what's interesting to me. David says, O oh God of my righteousness. Right? So what's, what's David declaring there? He's declaring that there's not a single thing righteous in him. Right? That his righteousness comes from God. That it's, that's, that's the source of his righteousness. And then he pleads, God, would you be gracious to me? Would you be merciful to me? Right? Now, I don't really feel that way when... I'm wrongly accused. When I'm trying to live rightly, I'm trying to, to do justly, and yet someone questions my motives or accuses me of things. See, we have the tendency, and I certainly have the tendency, to compare ourselves to those people, right? 
I mean, David could have easily compared himself to these bunch of liars that are, that are loving lies. These people who are, are pursuing injustice. David could have easily said, listen, compared to those people, I am righteous. Compared to those hellions, I'm looking pretty good over here. They are evil, but I'm a man after your own heart. It would have been easy for David to compare himself to others and feel good about himself, look pretty good about him uh, within himself, but his comparison isn't with others. His comparison is with God. And compared to God, he is unrighteous. Compared to God, his, his righteousness is like filthy rags. And so David comes to God, he comes to God in humility, declaring God as the source of his righteousness and pleading with God for mercy and grace because he does not deserve it. Because God is the only one who by his very nature does right. And this is why David is turning to him. You know, it's interesting if you think about things that way, right? That God is the only one by His very nature who does right. Then why in the world would we turn first to someone other than Him? And it's this truth that God is the righteous one that humbles Him. Listen, church, humility is not a suggestion from God. Humility is a necessity. Humility is a necessity. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Humility is not a suggestion. Humility is a requirement. It is humility that God regards in His grace. Psalm 138, verse 6. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. Though Even though the Lord is high and exalted, both in heaven and on His throne, but in righteousness He's, he's higher than us. But yet in His Righteousness in his exaltation, he regards the lowly. That, that's the humble. It's the humble that God regards. It's the haughty that he knows from afar. He's not getting close to the haughty. But he regards the humble. It's the humble that God hears and remembers. Psalm 9, verse 12. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God does not forget the cry of the humble. It is the humble that receives his grace. Proverbs 3, 34. Toward the scorners he is scorned. Scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor, he gives grace. When we come 
to God. We must come in humility. Now, all of this maybe sounds very elementary to you. Okay, David turned to God and he turned to God in honesty and humility. Yeah, we all know that. We all know that in difficult times, in hard times, we ought to turn to God in prayer. And when we come to God, we ought to come in honesty and humility. Yeah, this is simple. This is elementary. Of course, I know this. But so often, where do we turn? We turn to so many places and so many people other than the one who is able. David knows this. And so where does he go? He goes straight to God. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. His plea is to God. Secondly, his petition is to his enemies. It starts in verse 2. O man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David is, in his prayer, telling God what he wants to say to his enemies. And I totally get this. Because I have made up conversations in my head all the time. Of exactly what I would say and how they would respond and how I would respond. And I play the whole thing out. That's what David's doing here. In his prayer, he is telling God exactly what he wants to tell his enemies. He's praying, but yet he says, Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? He's not asking God that. He's asking these men that. How long will my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? How long are you going to do this? How long are you... Will you take what should be an honor to me and twist it into shame? How long will you love your vain words that only puff up yourselves and not God? How long will you seek after lies and not truth? That's what David wants to say to these people. He can't say it to these folks. He's saying it to God. He's pouring his heart out to the Lord. And he's doing it in a petition to these others. David says, how long are you going to be doing this? How long are you going to be acting like this? Instead of doing this, you need to do some things. And so David begins to pray for them to do some things. Look at verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Instead of loving these vain words, instead of chasing after these lies, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. That means the Lord hears when I call to Him. This is a little bit of, you don't know who you're messing with. That's that's what this is a little bit. Right? David proclaims, God has set me God has set me apart. 
You know what's amazing about this? Is this isn't just David that this is true about. This isn't just the king that this is true about. It's not just David that God has set apart for himself. It's not just the king of Israel that God has set apart for himself. God has set me apart. God has set the godly apart for himself. That's what David says, right? It doesn't say he set me apart. He doesn't say he set the king apart. He says, no, he set the godly apart. All the godly have been set apart for himself. This truth is so sustaining for me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is because God has set you apart for Himself. If you have come to to God in faith, if you've come to Christ in faith, you have done that because God chose you. Because He set you apart. He has set the godly apart for himself. He's done it for his own glory. And here's what that means. That means that if God has set you apart, he will not abandon you. Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, David's proclamation to his enemies is God has set apart the godly for himself and he hears when I call to him because he set me apart for himself. And he's done it, not because of me, but because of his grace. I've been chosen by him. I've been set apart by him. He hears me and he will not abandon me. That's not just true for David. That's true for every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he who began the good work in you, did you know you didn't start it? He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. This is where David's confidence lies. The Lord hears when I call to him. What a difference from verse 1, isn't it? Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayers. This is a plea to God. Would you please hear me? That's verse 1. Then verse 3 to his enemies. Oh, by the way, he answers me when I call to him. You know what this tells me? This tells me that in David's instructions to his enemies, he's really instructing his own soul. He starts out pleading with God, would you hear me? He ends up rather quickly knowing, oh, he set me apart. He hears me. He hears me. So instructing his enemies, he first tells them who he is. In God, set apart by Him, and His confidence is bolstered. I was excited to use that word, bolstered. 
Then David gives his enemies encouragement towards godliness. Look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. He instructs them to be angry and do not sin. Now this can mean two things. And there's a whole lot of discussion as to what this means. And quite frankly, I don't know that it matters. But I'm going to give them to you anyway. The first one is that in your anger, do not sin. Don't let your anger carry you over into sinful acts. This is Paul in Ephesians 4.26. That's the first thing. He's telling his enemies, you can be angry. You can even be angry at me, but don't let your, your anger carry you over into sin. That, that, could, that could be the, the first understanding. The second way that this could be understood is that anger, the word there for anger, can also mean tremble. So it could be David saying, you need to tremble. Be angry means tremble before God and do not sin. Now, which one is it? I don't know. I tend to lean towards the second, but I can say that both are probably pretty good needed instructions. And David's telling his, his enemies here, you need to see God for who he is and that should lead you to tremble in awe before God. Because God is awesome. God is holy. God is righteous. God is radiant in His glory. You don't come before God flippantly. You don't deal with the people of God sinfully. You don't act any way you want to act and think God's okay with it. You tremble in awe before God and do not sin. To do anything less than tremble before God is to sin. Because He is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. And our anger, justified or not, should not lead us to sin. Instead, we should ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. You see, he's, he's, he's given his enemies pretty good instruction here, right? I want to tell you what you need to do. You need to be quiet. And you need to think and you need to ponder in your own bed in silence. That's the exact opposite of what they're doing, right? Because they're running their mouths about David. And he says, no, what you need to do is you need to be quiet and you need to ponder and you need to think. Because where, where words abound, sin is there. You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because the angerness of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So pondering your own hearts on your own beds, David says, and worship God. You need to offer right sacrifices and put your trust in God. Now, this section 
is crazy to me. It's amazing to me that David, who has been wronged, who has every right to retaliate, instead speaks kindly to his enemies. He's speaking kindly. He's he's giving good instruction. He's giving good advice. He is he's trying to win them from their errors. You see it? Like we're I'm the total opposite. If I'm wrong, I go to God in prayer. I say, "Oh God, hear me when I call to you. Would you smoke them?" Like just right where they are. Boils everywhere. That's not what David does. Instead, he says, gosh, would you do me a favor and would you think rightly about God? Would you tremble in awe before Him and not sin? Would you think rightly about His people that He's set apart for Himself, that they they hear me when I, I call to them? Would you ponder that in your beds? And then would you get up and would you go offer right sacrifices to Him? Would you worship Him so that you could receive blessings from Him? David tries to win them from their errors. And in trying to help them, what does David do? He helps himself. And what can we learn from this? Here's what I can take away from it and that is that we cannot bring unrighteous requests to a righteous God and expect God to answer us we can't bring unrighteous requests to God he is righteous but when we're in darkness when we're in pain when we've been hurt when we've been wronged it's so easy to go to negative And to pray, you know, damnation on somebody. But God is a righteous God and that's a pretty unrighteous request and he's not going to answer that. Instead we must ask, what is the right thing? Not the easy thing, not the quick thing, not the thing that feels the best, but the right thing, because that's what God does. And David is pleading for their repentance. David is pleading for their good, and through it, God brings David a peace, a peace in his heart. Look at what God does in David through his prayers. In verse 6, God assures him of his favor. And David says, There are many who, will, who say who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. These people are asking, Who will show us some good? David asks this. But even in his mind, he seems to be taken to the blessing of Aaron in Numbers. This, this phrase, lift up your face upon us, O Lord. It's a, it's a paraphrase taking, taken from Numbers chapter 6. This blessing of Aaron 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. David is reminded of God's faithful favor throughout the generations. He has done it before and he will do it again. God is assuring David of his favor. That he has and he will lift up the light of his face upon us. Not only does God assure him of his favor, God fills him with joy. David says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You have God in the depth of dark and difficult circumstances, given me a joy that transcends circumstances. That's what this means. You've put more joy in me than they've got when everything is going right. When they've got more than they could ever eat and more than they could ever drink. I mean, they're they're happy. Their, Their bellies are full. Their storehouses are full. And they are getting drunk. They are happy, but there is more joy in me than could ever be found in them. God fills him with joy, a joy that transcends circumstances. God assures him of his favor, verse 6. God fills him with joy, verse 7. And God gives him peace, verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Church, listen, the greatest need of any person is peace with God. There is no greater need than to have peace with God. And that peace is only found in Jesus Christ. It is found nowhere else. It is not found in your righteousness. It is not found in your deeds. It is not found in your abilities. It is not found in your church attendance. It is not found in your mama. It is not found in your daddy, your grandmother, your granddaddy. And being a good old country boy, peace with God is only found in Jesus Christ. And when you have it, you can lay down and sleep in peace. But all of this, moving from distress, answer me when I call to you, O God. Be gracious to me and hear my plea, hear my prayer. Two, I will lay down and sleep in peace. Comes through prayer. It comes through a turning to God and receiving from Him our greatest needs. Peace and hard, difficult, dark circumstances. Peace comes through prayer. So turn to Him. Be honest. Be humble. Ask rightly. And receive from Him grace and peace. 
Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.